0: Story Two, Chapters One and Two of Freaks on the Fells. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Freaks on the Fells by R. M. Ballantyne. Story Two, Chapter One Why I Did Not Become a Sailor. There is a mystery connected with the incidents which I am about to relate. Looked at from one point of view, the whole affair is mysterious, eminently so. Yet, regarded from another point of view, it is not so mysterious as it seems. Whatever my reader may think about it as he goes along, I entreat him to suspend his judgment until he has reached the conclusion of my narrative. My only reason for bringing this mysterious matter before the public is, that in addition to filling me with unutterable surprise, it had the effect of quenching one of my strongest desires, and effectually prevented my becoming a sailor. This, I freely admit, is not in itself a sufficient reason to justify my rushing into print— but when I regard the matter from what may be termed a negative point of view, I do not feel that it is not absolutely presumptuous in me to claim public attention. Suppose that Sir John Franklin had never gone to sea, what a life of adventure and discovery would have been lost to the world! What deeds of heroism, undone, and therefore untold! I venture to think that if that great navigator had not gone to sea, it would have been a matter of interest, knowing, what we know now, to have been told that such was the case." in this view of the matter i repeat it as being of possible future interest that the incident i am about to relate prevented my becoming a sailor i am said to be a soft boy that is to say i was said to be soft i am a man now but of course i was a boy once i merely mention this to prove that i make no pretension whatever to unusual wisdom quite the reverse i hate sailing under false colours not that i ever did sail under any colours never having become a sailor and yet I shouldn't say that either, for that's the very point round which all the mystery hangs. I did go to sea. I'm rather apt to wander, I find, from my point, and to confuse my own mind. I trust not the reader's. Perhaps the shortest way to let you understand how it was is to tell you all about it. My name is Robert Smith. Not an unusual name, I am given to understand. It was of little use to me during the period of my boyhood, for I never got any other name than Bob. Sometimes soft was added. I had a father— he loved me as a natural consequence i loved him he was old partially bald silver-haired kind affectionate good five feet six and wore spectacles i at the time i write of was young stout well grown active and had a long nose much too long a nose it was the only point in regard to which i was sensitive it was owing to the length of this member i believe that i once went by the name of mozambique you see i conceal nothing THE REMARKABLE, THE MYSTERIOUS, THE EVERY WAY ASTONISHING INSTANCE I AM ABOUT TO RELATE, REQUIRE THAT I SHOULD BE MORE THAN USUALLY CAREFUL AND PARTICULAR IN STATING THINGS PRECISELY AS I SAW THEM, AND UNDERSTOOD THEM, AT THE TIME. IN THIS VIEW OF THE MATTER I SHOULD REMARK THAT THE SOFTNESS WITH WHICH I WAS CHARGED DID NOT REFER TO MY MUSCLES. THEY WERE HARD AND WELL DEVELOPED, BUT TO MY INTELLECT. I TAKE THIS OPPORTUNITY OF STATING THAT I THINK THE CHARGE UNJUST. BUT TO CONCLUDE MY DESCRIPTION OF MYSELF, I AM ROMANTIC one of my dearest companions used to say that my nose was the same minus the tick what he meant by that i could never make out i doubt if he himself knew my chief delight in my leisure hours was to retire to my bedroom and immerse myself in books of travel and adventure this was my mania no one can conceive the delight i experienced in following heroes of every name over the pathless steep and through the trackless forests of every clime my heart swelled within me and the blood rushed through my veins like liquid fire, as I read of chasing lions, tigers, elephants in Africa, white bears and walrus in the polar regions, and deer and bisons on the American prairies. I struggled long to suppress the flame that consumed me, but I could not. It grew hotter and hotter. At last it burst forth, and this brings me to the point. I thought, one dark, dismal night in the middle of November, I thought—mind, I don't say I determined, no, but I thought— of running away from home and going to sea. I confess it with shame. The image of my dear father rose before me with a kind and sorrowful look. I repented, started to my feet, and seized the book I was reading with the intention of tossing it into the fire. In doing so, I accidentally turned over a leaf. There was an illustration on the page. I looked at it, an African savage firing the whole contents of a six-barreled revolver down the throat of a Bengal tiger, without, apparently, doing it any harm. I thought not of the incongruous combination. My soul was fired anew. Once again I thought of running away from home and going to sea—not by any means with the intention of remaining at sea, but for the purpose of reaching foreign, if possible, unknown lands. Having conceived the thought I rose calmly, shut the book carefully, but with decision thrust my hands firmly into my pockets, knitted my brows, and went out in search of my bosom friend John Brown—also a commonplace name, I believe—at least so it is said. Jack, as I used to call him, had a mother, but no father. His father died when Jack was an infant. I've often fancied that there was a delicate bond of union between us here. He had a mother, but no father. I had a father, but no mother. Strange coincidence. I think the fact helped draw us together. I may be wrong, but I think so. Jack was on a visit to us at the time, so I had only to cross the passage to reach his room. "'Come in!' he cried, as I knocked jack come to my room it's more comfortable than yours i want your advice he rose in some surprise and followed me if john brown's name was commonplace his person was certainly not so he looked like a young lord he was a noble fellow by nature if not by birth a clear sunny face masculine chin and nose sweet firm mouth the eye of an eagle and the soft curly golden hair of a child Tall, broad-shouldered, elegant, bold as a lion, gentle and kind as a lamb. Such was my best, my dearest friend, Jack." "'Jack,' said I, "'I'm going
1: to run away.' "'You'll do nothing of the sort,'
0: said he. "'And,' I continued, regardless of his remark,
1: "'I mean that you shall run away with me.' "'I'll do nothing of the sort,' he replied. "'But come, my boy, you're joking. Surely this is not the object for which you called me out of my room. "'Indeed it is. Listen
2: to me, Jack.'
0: I looked at him impressively. He returned the look, for Jack was earnest as well as gay.
2: "'You know that my dear father positively refused to let me go abroad, although I have entreated him to do so again and again. No, I think that's hard, you know. I love my dear father very much, but—' "'You love yourself better. Is that it?' "'Well, put it so if you choose. I don't care. I'm going to run away, and if you won't go with me you can stay at home, that's all.' "'Come, come, Bob, don't
1: be cross,' said Jack kindly. "'You know you don't mean it.' "'But I
2: do. And I'm sure I don't see what it is that prevents you from going too,' said I
0: testily.
1: "'Hm. Well, there is a small matter, a sort of moral idea, so to speak, that prevents.' "'And what is that?' "'Respect for my mother. Bob, my boy, I've been too deeply imbued with that in my babyhood to shake it off now, even if I wish to do so. But I don't, Bob, I don't. I'm proud of my mother, and moreover I remember her teachings. There's one little verse I used to repeat to her every Sunday night, along with the rest of the Ten Commandments—'Honor thy father and thy mother,' etc. It seems to me that running away is rather flying in the face of that.
0: Doesn't it strike you in that light, Bob?" I was silent. I felt that I had no argument against such reasoning. Jack rose. "'It's late, Bob.
1: We are to start on our fishing expedition tomorrow morning at six—' so it behooves us to get into bed
0: good night and think over it i seized his hand and pressed it warmly good night jack i will end of story two chapter one story two chapter two my bedroom was a small one with little furniture in it a small iron stove in the fireplace acted instead of a grate and as i was accustomed to read late my father allowed me to light it in cold weather it was blazing cheerfully when jack left me and the bright gleams of ruddy light that darted through the chinks of the door and fell on the opposite wall threw the light of my solitary candle quite into the shade. I have already remarked that the night was dark and dismal. In addition to that it was stormy. The wind moaned drearily among the venerable elms that surrounded our quiet country residence, and ever and anon came in sharp, fitful gusts that caused the window-frames to rattle, and even shook the house at times, to its foundation. Heavy drops of rain fell occasionally on the window-panes, and in a few minutes the storm broke forth in full violence. As the old house had stood many such in years gone by, I did not give myself much concern about the gale, but pulled down the blind, placed my little table and books near the stove, and drawing in my chair, sat down to think. How long I remained in this condition I cannot tell, but my reveries were broken by the large clock on the stairs striking twelve i started up and clenching my hands exclaimed aloud no i've made up my mind i won't run away under the impulse of the feeling i threw open the door of the stove and heaped on fresh coals muttering to myself as i did so no i won't run away i won't run away no 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 i won't run i was checked suddenly by my eye falling a second time on that terrific african savage sending from his revolver a charge down the throat of that magnificent bengal tiger That would have blown the inside entirely out of any living creature smaller than an elephant i sat down i gazed at the picture i read the account i followed up the adventurous savage my head reeled with excitement a strange terrible heat seemed to dart like lightning through my veins and the book began to flicker before my eyes i became alarmed surely some terrible fever is seizing on me i exclaimed and in the terror of thought i started up and paced my room rapidly But the fire increased and my head swam i meditated ringing the bell and alarming the household but the thought of this quieted me and gradually i became calmer it was at this moment that my former resolution turned upon me with tenfold violence i'll submit to this no longer i growled between my teeth i will run away the instant i said that i felt as if i were imbued with a determination that nothing could shake jack's reasoning never once came into my mind I took down the knapsack that hung on a nail ready-packed for the intended fishing expedition of the morrow. I buckled it on, put on my thickest shoes and, seizing a stout cudgel, issued softly from my apartment and tapped gently at Jack's door. Come in. I entered and was overwhelmed with surprise at finding my friend standing in the middle of the room accoutred for the road just like myself. He put his finger to his lips.
1: Hush, Bob. I was on the point of going to your room to say that I've made up my mind to
0: run away with you. I was staggered i did not relish this unaccountable change if i had persuaded him to go it would have been all right but to find him thus ready and eager was unnatural i felt as if i were accountable for this change in his opinions and actions and immediately strange to say experienced a tendency to dissuade him
2: but jack you forget what you said to me some hours ago
0: no i don't he answered gloomily
2: perhaps you'd better think it over again no we won't
1: come bob don't show the white feather now don't waste time it's about dawn it's
0: too late to reason you have tempted me and i have given in saying this he seized me by the collar and pushed me before him and now the mysterious events which i am about to relate began the conduct of my friend jack on this occasion was in itself a mastery he was by nature the gentlest and most inoffensive of human beings except when circumstances required him to act vigorously then he was a lion, irresistible. Since the commencement of our acquaintance, which was of many years standing, he had never, by word or look, given me the slightest cause for anger, and yet here he was, grasping me violently by the collar and pushing me forcibly before him. I did not get angry. My conscience smote me. I said to myself, "'Oh, this is the result
2: of evil conduct. I have tempted Jack to act against his judgment. He is no longer what he
0: was.' instead of melting under this feeling i became hardened i stepped out and so dragged my friend after me down the back stairs which led to the lower part of the house where the servants slept jack whispered all right and let go his hold
2: now we must be cautious
0: i said in a low tone as we proceeded to traverse the passage on each side of which were the rooms occupied by the servants we took off our shoes and advanced on tiptoe at the far end of the passage we heard a sound like a trombone that was the butler We knew of his snoring propensities, and so were not alarmed. His door was open, so was his mouth. I could see that plainly as I passed, by the dim light of a candle which he always burned at night. The butler was excessively fat. I merely mention this because it accounts for the fact of his not awaking when we unlocked the street door. Fat people are not easily wakened. The lock of the door was an old-fashioned large one. It grated slightly as Jack turned the key. Then, at a certain point, the key lost control over it, and it shot back with a report like a pistol shot. My heart flew to my mouth and almost choked me. The butler gave a double snort and turned in his bed as Jack and I darted round an angle of the wall and hid in a dark corner. The butler soon gave an unquestionable evidence that he had not been thoroughly aroused, and we were about to issue from our place of concealment when the door of our manservant's room opened and he peeped out. Edwards, that was his name, was a stout young fellow, and we felt certain that he would not rest satisfied until he had found out the cause of the noise. We were right. He stepped cautiously into the passage with a poker in his hand. My heart sank within me. Just at that moment a cat darted across the passage with its back and tail up and its eyes glaring. Edwards flung the poker at it, missed the cat, and knocked over an old tin umbrella stand, with which the poker made a hideous clatter on the stone floor of the passage."
2: "'Ah, you brute! What,
0: is it you making all that row, is it?' "'Oh, dear Edwards, what has happened?' cried a shrill voice from the other end of the passage. "'It was the cook.'
2: "'Oh, nothing, only the
0: cat,' replied the man as he sauntered into the butler's room. "'The butler seemed at that moment to have been smitten with a fit of apoplexy. "'We could see him from our dark corner. He grew purple in the face, gasped once or twice, choked awfully, and then sat up in bed staring like a maniac.' "'Oh, Jack!' I whispered in horror.
1: Don't be alarmed. It's only his usual way of waking up. I've seen him do it often.
2: What noise is that? What's going on down there?
0: cried a deep, bass voice in the distance. It was my father. No one replied. Presently, my father's bedroom rang with extreme violence. Edwards rushed out of the butler's room. The butler fell back, opened his mouth, and pretended to be asleep, snoring moderately. This, of itself, would have undeceived anyone for when the old hypocrite was really asleep he never snored moderately. The cook and housemaid uttered two little shrieks and slammed their respective doors while the bell rang violently a second time. "'Now for it,' whispered Jack. He opened the back door softly and we darted out. A streak of pale light on the horizon indicated the approach of day. We tried to close the door behind us, but we heard the butler choke, gasp, and shout at the top of his voice. Hi, hallo!' At the same instant the old dinner-gong sent a peal of horrible sound through the house, and we took to flight filled with unutterable terror. Oh, how we did run! We had scarcely cleared the offices and got fairly into the avenue when we heard Edward shout as he started in pursuit. We were both good runners, but Jack soon took the lead, and kept it by about five yards. Our feet scarcely touched the ground. I felt as if I had wings, so great was my terror. We reached the end of the avenue. The gate was full five feet high to my inexpressible amazement jack went clear over it with one bound i have never been able to analyze my feelings and impulses on that occasion i am and always was rather a poor jumper yet without hesitation without even a doubt as to my ability to clear it i went at that gate like an irish hunter at a stone wall and leapt fairly over it the leap did not even check my pace for an instant i remember in the whirl and confusion of the moment that i attributed my almost superhuman powers to terror but the feeling that we were pursued again absorbed all my faculties. We dashed on at a killing pace, and, strange to say, without feeling the slightest fatigue. Having cleared the avenue, we mounted the high ground in the neighborhood, passed the church, entered the village, and went through it like a railway train, came out upon the road beyond, and reached a wooded part of the country where several roads and by-paths diverged from the highway. All this time Edwards kept close on our heels. He did not gain on us, but we felt that we did not distance him. "'Down here!' cried Jack, doubling suddenly into a lane. We passed a small bridge that crossed a mill lake. Beyond there was a farmyard. The pathway was high, and we could look down on the tops of the stacks. One of these, a haystack, stood about ten feet from the low wall that skirted the road. It had been half pulled down, and the hay was loose. Without a word or warning Jack sprang completely across this space, turned right over, and plunged headfirst into the hay. I followed instantly and disappeared. We lay for a few seconds perfectly still, and heard Edwards pass at full speed. Then we struggled out and watched him out of sight. Sliding down, we regained the lane, returned to the high road, and continued our flight. We saw no more of Edwards. About eight miles from my father's house there was a small seaport town. We made for this, and reached it just as the sun rose in all his golden glory on the distant edge of the sleeping sea. End of Story 2 Chapter 2